There'll be two readings this morning. One is John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29, and that's on page 1089 of the Church Bible. Then there'll be a second reading, John 18, chapters 36 to 38, and that's on page 1087. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What truth is what is truth? Pilate asked. With this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Could you pray with me for a second? May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for reading, Celia, and also thank you for that wonderful violin. It really did sound so beautiful during the hymns. For those that don't know me, my name is Richard Warren. Um, I'm treasurer at the church. Um, Rachel and I have worshipped at this church for over 30 years. Um, and you'll be pleased to hear there'll be no appeals for money, no spreadsheets in this sermon, so you can all relax a little bit. But what we're going to talk about today is truth. What's the meaning of truth, and how does one know something is true? So it may help you to have the passages open, and I'm going to turn to chapter 20 passage, where we meet doubting Thomas. We don't know too much about Thomas. In fact, arguably, we don't know his name. Thomas comes from the Hebrew meaning twin, and Didymus is the Greek word for twin. So all we really know about him is he was called twin, otherwise known as twin. He's mentioned about six times in the Gospels, so all we really know about him is he doubted. 
But 2,000 years later, Thomas is perhaps remembered more than most of the disciples because we still refer to anyone who's sceptical as a doubting Thomas. So so Thomas doubted, and he's often criticised for his doubt. When you read in verse 25, he wasn't around when Jesus first went and met the disciples a week earlier. And he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Quite a statement. But actually, I don't find it too difficult to understand why, because he was doubting, he needed some evidence. And maybe that's because I trained as a lawyer. I mean, some of you may know I practiced law as a solicitor for several years. And in studying law, you understand the role of evidence in trying to get to the truth. I'm sure we're all familiar with that courtroom scene where the witness is called up in front uh, to give evidence and they swear the solemn oath on the Bible. The court clerk will ask them to say, I swear by mighty God to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. So whilst doubt is not unreasonable, you need evidence to overcome it. But before we go on too far, I guess we should ask ourselves the question, what is truth? A slightly strange question, and you can look it up in the dictionary. But I don't know about you, but it feels like in modern times we're struggling a bit to define what truth is. Let's look at our second passage for a second that we read in chapter 18. This takes place in a very different court. Ray spoke about this wonderfully in our Good Friday service just over a week ago. This is the court of Pontius Pilate, the all-powerful Pilate, who is the representative of Caesar in the region. Come with me for a moment to look into that court. There, the praetorium. Jesus stands in front of Pilate, the all-powerful, who has literally power over life and death in many respects. There's no jury, no witnesses. Pilate is prosecutor, judge, and jury. And we hear him questioning Jesus about the claims that the Pharisees have made that he was claiming to be king. And Jesus gives a response that clearly throws Pilate. He says he's from a, he is a king, but from a different kingdom, the kingdom of truth. I was born and came into the world, he said, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate's response, what is truth? I'm not sure I can really fathom whether he was just being cynical, whether he was just tired with life, or whether he was asking a genuine question. But it is a genuine question, perhaps the question of all time, which I think is as relevant today as when he asked it 2,000 years ago. And as I said earlier, truth seems to be a bit of an alien concept in some ways. Let's take a few examples of popular culture. I was struck when listening to Prince Harry describe why he wrote his book, Spare. He said... I need to give my truth. 
This is very personal truth to him, obviously. And as our late Queen famously said, it's the sort of truth where recollections may vary. So what about our modern-day pilots, the politicians? Do they tell us much about truth? Mm, I, I hear a slight murmur. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's not be too controversial. Let's talk about Donald Trump, who in his day, in his day, was probably the most powerful man and politician on the planet. Now, he get introduced us to some interesting concepts like alternative facts. Now, what are alternative facts? Well, I think it's broadly what, anything you'd like them to be, that as long as it suits your current view or argument. It's little wonder that I read in a recent Ipsos poll uh, of opinions in the UK that politicians rank the least trustworthy profession, with only 13% of the population saying they believed that politicians would speak the truth. So let's go back to that same poll and have a look at some of those professions where people were a little bit more positive. Um, may come as no surprise, but scientists were viewed as good arbiters of the truth. And I guess in recent times we had the, the uh, uh, reliance on science during the pandemic. And I do enjoy uh, watching science and reading into science, not just science fiction like Star Trek and Star Wars, but um, documentaries. Serious programs, David Attenborough and his uh, look into the natural world, Brian Cox and his uh, marvellous programs on the wonders of the universe. But when one looks into some of these programs, uh, some of the truths that they talk about can sound a little bit like a script out of Star Trek. Take into account, for example, the concepts of dark matter and dark energy to make the maths work for the expanding universe, 95% of everything needs to be dark energy or dark matter, which by its very nature is unobservable and cannot be seen, hence the term dark. That is a strange truth. And I also read recently about deep fakes in technology. I don't know about you, but it is a frightening world where images and videos can be manipulated to be true what is actually fake. I don't know if you saw the recent BBC series called The Capture, but it showed a chilling look into what is now reality. In fact, reading the news, nothing seems to be particularly clear. Recently reading the question about whether and what is a man or a woman is now a matter of conjecture. And I'm not saying people don't genuinely have issues with identity. So do the passages today help us in this confused picture of truth? Well, you won't be surprised to say I think they do. Let's look again at the story of Thomas. He had, he had doubts, which I think we would agree we can relate to. And given his very sceptical remarks, it would have been very easy for Jesus to say, he lacks faith. I'm not going to waste my time with him. But he didn't. He returned to that room to meet Thomas. Everyone else in that room had already seen Jesus, so this was just for Thomas. Jesus didn't abandon him to his doubts. 
And as a result, the impact on Thomas was pretty profound. In verse 28, he recognized Jesus by saying, my Lord and my God. And while we don't know a great detail about the rest of Thomas's life, we do know he became a great evangelist and preached far and wide. Uh, and it's uh, thought that he may have died in India, still preaching, years later. But what about us 2,000 years later? Are we, as Jesus said, those who do not see and yet have believed? Well, I still believe today that Jesus doesn't abandon us to our doubts, just as he didn't abandon Thomas 2,000 years ago. Why do I believe this? I believe it through my own personal experience. When I first gave my life to to Jesus, which is quite a while ago now, it was at uh, the baptism of a friend, a school friend, Brett Jordan, at South Ryslip Baptist Church. And after the baptism and during the final hymn, as was the custom in those days, the leader said, you know, if you feel moved, come forward. And it would be fair to say that as the chord strung up the first hymn, the last thing on my mind was that I would go forward. But during that, that very first verse, I felt a physical presence like I had not felt before urging me to go forward, to the point that within one short verse, I felt I had no choice but to go forward. And it's not just there at those spiritual highs that one can feel that presence. You may be surprised to hear that I can feel the presence of Jesus in the spreadsheets in my role as treasurer. It's something we remark about in our finance team meetings, believe it or not. Uh, As treasurer, I get to see who gives regularly. I'm probably the only person in the church who sees that. And in those gifts, I see Jesus. I see the loving joy that people give, the willingness to support our missionary partners, to dig deep. And it's quite humbling to see that. And the only reason for that, as I can see in the numbers, is Jesus. So today, we know that doubt is natural. But we also know that Jesus promises us that he will not leave us in that doubt, just as he did not with Thomas. But we have to be willing to see Jesus. Pilate looked right at Jesus in the praetorium. There, Jesus stood before him, explaining that he stood for truth, that he was literally the embodiment of truth. Pilate looked at him and didn't understand. And he proved it later that he didn't understand what truth was. He, he sent Jesus to die, freely admitting that he saw Jesus had committed no crime. So much for truth in Roman justice. But in our time, when truth seems to have, at best, a relative meaning, and for many, no meaning at all, in a world of fake news, my truths, we read... In John 18, that Jesus came into the world to testify for truth. A truth that I believe the world desperately needs. I also believe that we need to be able to stand up for that truth and to speak it out. 
and not to succumb to a world where anything goes, where you can believe anything you like. A truth that I believe changes lives, just as it changed Thomas's life in that moment when he saw and met Jesus again. A truth that I feel we must all testify to. So as I draw to my close, my sincere prayer for us all at this time is that when we struggle with doubt, which of course we will, that we can feel the presence of Jesus in our lives and that we might experience it for ourselves and to share it for others so that we will know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Amen.